Hello everyone, I am Joanna McKenzie, a data scientist with the Data Lab, and today I'm at Data Summit 2019, our two-day conference on all things data that provides a finale to Data Fest. Here with me is Dr. Joanna Bryson, an Associate Professor in Computing Science from the University of Bath, and she will be speaking to the summit this afternoon about artificial intelligence and human accountability. So, hello. Hello. Um, so welcome to Data Summit. Well, thanks. And uh, I have to say it's the first time I've ever been interviewed by someone with my name. So. That's an unusual thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. So um, could you maybe start by giving us a brief summary of what you're going to be talking about this afternoon? Well, actually, uh, since it is Data Summit, um, I, I will be talking about something that I'm pretty well known for now, which was a paper that came out in 2017 about um, the fact that uh, artificial intelligence that's built by machine learning from human language will wind up with the same implicit biases that humans have, which interestingly, when we did that study, we also found out also maps into reality for some things. So for example, uh, uh, what jobs uh, women uh, are actually currently employed in are the same things that these terrible sexist uh, bots are saying, uh, you know, he about, you know. So um, it was really a very interesting study of, of human bias, although it was often taken to see to be about AI bias. Um, but then I, I'll use it, as you said, as a launching point to talk about uh, AI uh, regulation and, and transparency and accountability. So, but I'll have to do that quite quickly if I explain the science, which is what I've, I've apparently signed up to do. <laughs> Okay, that's, that sounds really interesting. It's, of course, been a big theme, bias and algorithms, been a lot of talk online on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I worry about that because, I mean, bias uh, can destroy people's lives. And, you know, there's people that, that we, uh, you know, we aren't allowing them to fully be utilized or expressed. You know, it's a weird thing about doing the research, of course, is realizing that, wondering how much this affected my own career, you know. So I, I realize it's a really big deal, but I don't think it's by any measure the biggest deal in AI ethics right now. So I hate it when people say, oh yeah, we're doing AI ethics, and then they show like what they're trying to do about bias. First of all, partly people are trying to do things which our paper showed were impossible. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? So you can't just take the bias out of the data because, because that would be taking the meaning out of the data. The point is that our culture is biased. And so we have to figure out how to address that, but it's not going to be by some magic eraser, right? But then secondly, um, you know, right now, the, the big pressing things is that we're basically at war, that people are assaulting democracies. And, and you know, we're all sitting here in Britain uh, very much worried about Brexit, but we're still acting as if this is something that we've done when, when there's extremely strong evidence that it isn't only something we've done to ourselves, but rather it is something that was done uh, to us, although we did create ourselves, you know, the, the kind of uh, social context in which it could be done. So almost like using the existing structures of democracy, but acting on them in new ways with new capabilities and data tech. Exactly, right. Yeah, well, it's not only that the, uh, democracy affords this kind of assault, and, and, and we didn't realize it because we didn't, we sort of thought that uh, our beliefs are an essential part of us. But in fact, you know, beliefs can be changed. What else would it be to be intelligent? Of course, you can you can believe new things, but uh, but when beliefs are changed in a coordinated way by a foreign power for a particular purpose, then you have a problem. But also, what I meant about it's not just about like this is democracy and maybe democracy itself can no, is no longer sustainable. I mean, we have some really big questions to ask. 
but um, but hopefully that's not true. <laughs> but anyway, it's not just about that. It is also about the economic climate that could make a lot of people feel um, correctly that they're not getting all the uh, the the reinforcement that they should have. Uh, you know that that it's, in Britain's a phenomenally wealthy country, or it was before uh, we started hemorrhaging money because of Brexit. So, uh, but then we're still pretty wealthy, and but it hasn't been. It's not just that it, you don't want it perfectly evenly distributed. I mean, okay, you know, some people might think that that's the golden ideal, but in fact, uh, uh, there's there's decent empirical evidence that the best thing is to have a Gini coefficient, which is kind of a measure of inequality, around 0.27, right, out of out of up to possible one, right. So it, what what it means is that. It seems that we do better if we have some motivation. You know, there's some differences in in uh, in wages, and there's some uh, way to reward people who are doing well or have great ideas. You know, to be able to invest in in, in innovation. You know, things like that. So you need a certain level of inequality, but when it gets greater than that, you start getting social disruption, and just a little bit greater than that still, and you actually start damaging the economy because there's not enough people that can participate in it. And do you know what the Gini quote? coefficient is in the UK, the US? Actually, uh, the, the US, moment. I read that it just tipped over into that uh, damaging the economy uh, thing. You know, because we had this, uh, Donald Trump, a uh, very similar phenomena to Brexit, but he introduced this incredible tax thing that actually was apparently specifically poised to increase inequality, which makes sense if you know that inequality is the thing that, that helps you get elected, right? But you know, normally it turns out there's just been a big study come out. Normally, populist leaders actually do wind up reducing inequality by by giving more money to the people that, and and not just money directly, but you know, uh, um, investing in the infrastructure, and so the lives are better for the for the poorest people who were the ones that elected them. But um, it's not only the poor people, I should say. But it's the regions that have high inequality. Then everybody in that region feels uh, 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 threatened. So when you look. At at the you know who voted for Trump or who voted for Brexit, it is across the economic spectrum, but it but apparently and I've seen contradictory reports on this, but apparently the best predictor by county was how unequal that county is, and that sort of makes sense because it's the government's job to um, to make sure that that we are together in some sense, and so where you see really really stark. Uh, inequality, you're also seeing a failure of governance. So there are regions of the country that were not being governed appropriately. And again, there's there's a lot of papers that have come out about this recently, particularly for Britain, that we've had. Um, uh, you know, basically, we now look like a Middle Eastern uh, wealth, uh, oil wealth kind of, it's not oil, it's finance, but um, we should look like Norway. We should have been smart enough to say, okay, here's this incredible asset, let's make sure it gets spread around. But unfortunately, we haven't been, at least not in England and Wales. Scotland, of course, has been more socialist for, for decades, and they're doing a better job of spreading it around. And, and it is, it's wonderful to be back up here for, for incredible initiatives like Data Labs. I'm really impressed by what I learned about that yesterday. Yeah, it's, been, it's a really great thing to be involved in. And DataFest is the culmination of everything Data's worked for, so yeah. it's a great thing to be involved in. Yeah, and speaking of uh, you know public investment and socialism and everything, I, I've heard that Data Fest is, is completely self-sufficient. So even though Data Labs was set up by the government as an intervention, it's something that is self-sufficient, you know, so that's wonderful. You know? Yeah. And um, we've talked a lot about um, what the cultural implications have been of these new uses of technology that came through the Cambridge Analytica scandal, the Trump campaign, the Brexit campaign. How far are the solutions to these things going to be technical, though? 
Uh, well, yeah, no, it's, I mean, what does technical even mean? <laughs> you know, I, I, there, there's definitely things where you need to sort of win hearts and minds, especially of the elite. I mean, we've been in this situation before. Unfortunately, what it led to last time was World War I, and then the financial crash of 29, and then, of course, the incredibly bad settlement of World War I led to World War II. Uh, so, so we, in, but uh, in America and in Britain um, in the 30s, we already, you know, one world war and one crash was enough that the elite signed up, uh, they, they made a pact with the proletariat, uh, to, to put it bluntly. And, you know, in America that was called the New Deal. I don't know what it was called here, but I guess social welfare. That was, that was the beginning of the welfare state. And, um, and so you, you saw a decline in both political polarization and inequality. Those are very well correlated. Um, and then in 1945, after you know, the complete disaster there, you got um, everybody signing up to this thing called Bretton Woods, which said things like you can't extract wealth uh, internationally and things like that. So I'm, what I'm hoping, I mean, if you look at the crash of 2008, you know, it was bad, but it was nothing like what happened in, in 1929. You know, there weren't people starving and things, at least not in our countries. I don't know, if, I, don't, I hope I'm not being culturally insensitive, but it wasn't the scale of disaster of 29. And so I, I hope that this war, I feel like we're in a war and certainly there aren't boys in ditches getting you know, mustard gas. But, but there are people dying, um, not only in Syria, but also you know, people that can't get access to, to their, their national health uh, services. You know, so there are people that are dying, and, and I hope that we don't have to ha suffer as many casualties. And, 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 and what I'm worried about is it could be quite a long, protracted war because it's so invisible. And people can keep saying, no, but this is what I chose. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit about this earlier. One of, one of the terrifying things about this whole strategy or structure is that, um, so, so Christopher Wiley was here before me, and he gave this beautiful talk about you know, really, really painting the picture of the fact that we're becoming embedded in a system which is set up to manipulate us, right? So, so first of all, I mean, some of the people, I'm not saying everybody who sells something in the Internet of Things is thinking, oh boy, oh boy, I'm going to manipulate people. But they are all thinking, let's put some intelligence in there, and that is effectively surveillance. So, you know, and, and, and you can combine the information from all these sources, and you get enough information that then people who want to can manipulate you. And, and they call it something like, you know, like nudging. We've, we've been talking on Twitter recently about um, you know, like, like nudging if it's with consent is okay. So I, I like so nudging is sort of like sex, and we need a word like rape for when you've been nudged without your consent. <laughs> you know, because but the problem is that you don't. Um, after that's happened, you, you may not have noticed it. The whole point was that your mind has been changed. And then you have, I mean, that it is your mind. And so then you have strong identif identity with your new beliefs. And so, um, so the people who, who have had their minds changed um, are, are not necessarily signed up for saying that, you know, for going back to their previous sets of beliefs, or, or you know, that might not even be possible. If you have new concepts, then you literally see the world differently. Um, and, and you know, they and they certainly might not be signed up for uh, getting rid of the influences that got them into power or whatever. You know, so it's a, it it's a interesting. <laughs> interesting isn't really the word. I mean, we're we have to understand humans, not just technology. That's a fantastic point. Yeah. I also think it's quite interesting because. I don't think you can change somebody's mind without their consent as long as they're aware of it being changed. So 
I think people have control over their own mind and the ability to, to, to consent to accepting a new belief or a new change. And oh, I don't know. Christopher so, Wiley's talk, sorry to continue, Christopher Wiley's talk did point out the fact that um, many people, the people that were targeted were vulnerable people. They were already vulnerable to that sort of nudge. And that's what made it powerful. Yeah, yeah. so he was talking about that... Uh, uh, for example, neurotics, uh, people that, that expose various sorts of, um, of uh, instability, you know, like so they could look for people that were likely to have their beliefs changed. Yes. So I, I don't know what, I guess, you know, consent is a very difficult notion here. But um, what, so, you know, you, you chose to be reading whatever you're reading on Facebook. Well, maybe not if it's an advertisement that's shown to you. So you didn't really choose that. Yeah. But, but you consented to logging into Facebook and you may not have known what you're getting into. Um, and, and so, again, we can think about like these different, we, you know, over time. I mean, it, when I moved to the UK initially, um, at least in England and, and Wales, I think you, you, uh, it was impossible to rape your wife. Yeah, because you know, you'd already consented at marriage, right? And now, now that that law has been changed, it's understood that you can rape people, and in fact, um, you know, it, it can be considered rape even if uh, someone just wasn't sufficiently conscious or something. You know, even if they were somebody who would normally have sex with you or something. So there's there's a much the ideas of consent are shifting as we understand the damage that can be done to people. I guess is is what's happening here. Um, and I think that, that this may be similar, that, that if you, you may think, oh yeah, that was interesting, I enjoyed watching it, but you may not have known what the consequences were. You know, like, so you might consent to smoking cigarettes and smelling bad, but you may not consent to having uh, lung cancer, and you may feel very angry if that was uh, hidden from you, if, if the companies knew that you were going to get lung cancer. So similarly, if, you, if you, you're really enjoying this entertainment, but if you didn't know that it was going to uh, make you part of a club that would then make your country more likely to be uh, come under military attack without allies, you know, something like that. Uh, then you know maybe you'd think, oh, that wasn't really what I wanted, and and how can you know what that is? Well, part of it is about the source. So going back to your question, actually, the technological component. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's I, my my first degree is psychology, so I, I do build AI systems, but I am not an expert in things like cybersecurity uh, and networking. I understand them enough to know how complicated they are. Um, but anyway, if there is a way to really understand, uh, to be able to trace the provenance, you know, of money, of of uh, bits, and and uh, you know where the where, where the the message is coming from, um, and also just if you can tell. I, there ought to be a technological way that you can tell if uh, somebody's personal information's been used without consent because they're getting a different message that, that is uh, consistent with their profile. Now, of course, you have to, in that case, you would have to consent to having people know enough about your profile to be able to tell if your message was being skewed by your profile, right? So uh, there's, there, so, so there's uh, obviously complicated legal uh, and public education uh, matters there, too. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, what are the alternatives? I, I, my, I mean, we may have to chase them, but, but um, that, you, know, you can't say, oh, that would be bad, so it can't be true. Sometimes it's just true. But I think it's worth investing heavily because I think democracies work pretty well for us. You know? Yeah, it, it certainly led to quite a lot of improvements. Um, the theme for DataFest has been data together this year, and that's all about teams. And actually, I think that becomes very strongly evident of why that's important when you start talking about ethics, because one individual programmer can't test all these moral implications. You need your politicians, you need your 
ethical environment. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things people say is, can't people check this stuff beforehand? And can't we hold the programmers accountable? And, you know, it's the same with any manufactured artifact. You know, AI, A, the A, it stands for artifact. It's something that someone's built. And we can just go and look at all the other laws. No, of course you can't anticipate everything. But there's a bunch of stuff you can anticipate that is known. And if you didn't know, if you weren't, you know, adequately trained and adequately licensed, and you didn't do adequate checking, and you didn't do adequate... Um, DevOps, which is you know logging of like how the code was changed, you know keeping it cyber secure. Uh, same for data and machine learning. You know where did the data come from? Did you just download it, or do you actually know its provenance? Do you know because could someone have injected something into it, or is it you know is it legitimate data? You know all these things have to be logged, and you ought to be able to prove that you did due diligence. But if you if you do all the right things. Some things will still go wrong. You know, I don't, you know, Facebook was a toy. And, and, and I think it literally is just uh, stupidity, but it's stupidity that could possibly have happened on a, on a mass scale to think that, oh, yeah, it's good for advertising, but it's not good, for, it's not going to change politics. I mean, come on, what is the difference between advertising and politics? But people just, especially Americans, I mean, I, I, I think sometimes that Europeans don't understand how different we are in terms of the fact we are founded by fundamentalists. And even those of us like me who self-identify as atheists, we've still got sort of a fundamentalist, you know, there's black and white kind of mindset. And, and so, you know, and, and we literally think of the US Constitution like the Ten Commandments, that they somehow came, you know, from, from God with people as the pen, you know, just holding the pen or something, you know. And, and, and the idea that our democracy was vulnerable or, or that indeed that it's, it's antique and archaic is not one that most Americans can get on top of. Um, I, I'm, I'm very jealous of the Germans, you know, because, well, I mean, obviously they had a pretty bad uh, life before this, but at some point, um, American political scientists came with them and, and helped them write basically the American uh, Constitution 2.0. And, and now we can't get that, right? Because our, our, we can't admit that there's anything wrong with ours, but the Germans have a better constitution that was based on the American one. I want version 2.0. <laughs> You know? uh, hopefully it'll be, it'll be a thing that can change over time, including the impact of fundamentalism in the US. Yeah, but I mean, let's bring it back home to, to Britain. I mean, like when I came here again as an American, I was like, where are the European flags? It's a part of the EU. There's no European flags. And it's, it's just nuts, you know. And so there, that's another kind of fundamental thing. The British were never totally identifying, even though they were getting all these benefits. And they had all these exceptions made for them. They're, they had an unbelievably good deal out of the EU that everybody else was very of, and yet they never put up the EU flags and they treated the EU elections like jokes and you know it, it, and it, it's um, so these are both like systemic things so just like you can't imagine like you know that everybody would say okay yeah Brexit was a bad idea and by the way let's put up uh, EU flags right that's the same thing as like trying to imagine all the Americans going oh you know our, 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 our constitution is kind of you know a, a bit you know old let's just write a totally new one although actually uh, Trump is talking about that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Trump was talking about doing that at one point. I, I, I don't know. I, I think at this point, uh, hopefully, he's he's uh, spending enough time and is, and is talking to his lawyers instead. But that was is one of those things that that autocrats do. So that's like it's dangerous that you know. I, th I think that's part of the reason he kept saying like lock her up about his opponent was because he knows that he belongs in jail and he was trying to make it them you know the Democrats look stupid if he goes to jail because you know he threatened that on them and that it would just look like petty revenge. There's an element of projection in there. Well, no, I don't think it's only protection, although it could be. I, I literally think it's a it's a strategy to make that uh, an, an accessible strategy. 
right? If, if you know, the, 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 the putting, you know, if, if, if it's true that, that, that he's done things that, that are illegal, then of course he should go to jail. The same with anybody else. And that's the strongest thing about a democratic system is that the... No one's above the law. Right? Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yes. So one of the things I've been noticing in your writings recently is about making humans accountable for the flaws of AI. Um, rather than the algorithm itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this goes back. So there, there's uh, there's two very important things here. What could it possibly mean for the the algorithm to be accountable, right? So so the way that the justice system dissuades is um, using things that are essential to being a, a social a social organism. Actually, so so you know, uh, sheep don't want to be alone. And guppies don't want to be alone. Some of them die of stress if you if you separate them out. You know, humans don't want to be alone. We don't want to be locked up in jail. Um, you are seeing people that were willing to sacrifice. Again, talking about uh, the news, you know, seeing people that are willing to sacrifice, you know, uh, lives in other countries that aren't willing to give up two or three years of their own lives and are flipping uh, <laughs> yeah, because they don't want to go to jail for too long. So, um, so there, there's this there. We're incredibly um, dissuaded by the loss of status, the loss of, of control, loss of power, the loss of freedom of association, you know, all, all of these things. And you're not going to build AI that way. It just, you know, if, if and I don't, I'm not saying, I don't believe this is technologically plausible, but if you could do whole brain uploading, if you, know, if you just made a digital version of a person, okay, yes, then of course it would have that capacity. But normally, if you're going to make a product that is safe and maintainable, and notice nobody wants to train a robot for 18 years the way we do with children, right? You know, that, that's, not, that's not really, we don't really want to have, make a bunch of people anyway. But if we did, it would be unethical for another reason, because you're not supposed to own people, right? We've already established that. Um, but anyway, so the point is that for a safe commercial product, it's going to be built modularly. And so there's not going to be the systemic aversion to, to being punished in jail or whatever. So there's no way to hold AI accountable. And in fact, the overextension of legal personality is part of the problem that's causing all these other things. It's, that's one of the things that creates shell companies, like real estate, you know, but you know, these various things that are deliberately set up to go bankrupt in order to launder the, the, the money of, of people who got wealth uh, 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 through illicit means, right? So that's been increasing massively in the last 15 years, and I'm just working very hard to try, first of all, to make sure that AI doesn't make that worse, or, or that you know, people's misconceptions of AI, it's not the AI itself that's the actor. Um, but secondly, even to help, you know, now that we have this new case that we can, you know, people are paying a lot of attention to, maybe it'll help us reason and actually move back on some of the corporate uh, uh, law errors that were happening before. So that's the one thing about, so one side is that the machines can't be accountable. Okay, well, what about humans? Mm -hmm. So people are like, well, you know, we can't possibly know what our machines are doing. Um, and, and yeah, literally, uh, you, you, there were you know, only a couple of years ago, but, but really in two years this has moved, this conversation has moved, at least at the top levels, has moved well beyond this. But people are saying, oh, if you regulate us, we'll have to give up using deep learning because nobody knows what all the, the, the weights are doing. And then, um, and then you lose the, you know, the golden goose. All this, your, your, your economy will fall over because you won't have AI anymore because AI is entirely machine learning. This is all false. Okay, I'm, I'm just repeating what other people are saying. 
They, you don't go into a bank and say, what, what are the synapses in your, in your employees doing, right? Nobody cares what the individual weights. I mean, okay, it's interesting. You know, if you can figure out exactly what a deep learning system does, it's interesting. But what you can hold people accountable for is, like I said before, whether or not they built the system appropriately, whether they followed the good methods for building it, whether they, um, what were the criteria by which they, they decided it was fit for release. If it's still learning when it's released, then um, how do you monitor the system and make sure that it's performing in the ways that you expect it to? You know, and all these large real-time systems are already doing this. You know, Facebook itself is a giant AI program, and you know they, they have blog posts about how they have all these real-time systems that are you know simpler, simpler little programs that are watching to see if the big giant program seems to be doing the right kinds of things. You know, you could be looking for memory leaks, you can be looking for users that are just hanging up because it's not working, you know, there's all kinds of things you can look for. Um, and illicit flows of data, <laughs> as we were discussing. No, but anyway, the, uh, the so so you can you if basically if someone can prove that if something went wrong they couldn't possibly have known, then they shouldn't be held to account. Um, but if they should have known, if they were not following the standards of the industry, so for example, if we can show that you know 70% of companies, like for example Google, even if they knew about the personal data. Um, uh, about you, they wouldn't sell it to other people. You know, I, I, the 70-30 is just something I read in an online article. I don't know if it's true, but the idea is that most companies uh, wouldn't sell the data about the person. They would just say, yeah, yeah, we know people like that. We know people named Joanna, um, and, and we can get your message to them if you want. Whereas some companies, apparently like Facebook and LinkedIn, would say, "Oh yeah, here's all the Joannas, and here's all their friends," you know, and, and it's like, you know, and they were just handing that out. And if and if you can say that, like, look, there was a bunch of companies that refused to make money that way because they thought it was illegal or immoral, and if that was the majority, it wasn't just some rando, right? <laughs> you know, then then you can say, then you guys were doing something that was wrong, and and you should be fined. I mean, the UK have already fined. Uh, uh, Facebook to the maximum that they were able to under their old laws, unfortunately. But hopefully that that maximum part is the part that we picked up when America finds Facebook. Hopefully they will find whatever, the, I don't think there is a maximum in America. So hopefully, I would like to see Facebook reduced to one-tenth of its present value. And you know, then it would still be a big company. It would have a great chance to reorganize itself. Um, and and uh, that, 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 that's, what, that's the scale of, of penalty I'd like to see executed against it. Because that's the interesting thing. When the GDPR regulation changed in Europe, what changed was not so much the regulation, it was the maximum fine. That was that a big part really of it. really mobilised everybody to well, take this seriously. I, I agree with you about that, but I disagree with you that nothing... I agree with you that a lot of the details changed, but the perspective changed. Yes. Um, and one of the important parts of that perspective is that the European countries have decided that um, they're per that the because uh, the personal data can be used to manipulate people or to exploit them or whatever, it is a part of your person. And so, so manipulating someone's beliefs or exploiting uh, information about them is the same thing as twisting their arm. And basically, they said, "Look, we we are we are defending our citizens. That's what nations do. That's you know that's one of the things this institution is for, and that includes and extends to their personal data. And I think that is absolutely the right model. I I you know I'd heard a lot of people arguing about this. I was an AI person. I cared about like you know, really basic stuff like you know why why do different species use cognition uh, to different extents." 
what was the biological utility of cognition. I was asking questions like that. But I wound up at these meetings hearing these people arguing these things. And so I, I, I agree. I think that they did a good job and that the, the EU has really come down on the right side of this. Um, it'll take a little while to shake out all the legal and the technical mechanisms to make sure that it's enforced. But I, but I think they're on the right path and they, they've really helped, uh, well, as they should. They, they, they're, the, the EU is, um, especially with Britain, but possibly even without it, the world's largest economy. Um, well, actually, economies are defined by currency, but the Eurozone alone is one of the leading economies. And nobody, you know, nobody wants that the Europe doesn't promote itself in the same way that China and America do. They aren't fighting that particular uh, propaganda war. Yeah. But I suspect that the Eurozone could, could very well be one of the, you know, possibly the largest economy, even by itself. And then you've got you know, Britain and Poland and, and Hungary and, and Denmark and these different countries, and you put all that together. And you've got this incredibly um, wealthy, well-educated, powerful block of people. That, and, and that's the thing, they could change the world because because it was a market that mattered, and actually, you know, the tech fought against this, but now they're saying, oh look, we have we have the same set of laws in 28 countries. Way, <laughs> you know, it's actually turned out to be pretty good. And as I understand it, some other countries now are sort of signing up to be GDPR compliant or something, so that so that exactly the same uh, uh, protocols or whatever can be used for them, and and both to defend their own citizens, but also to make it easier for 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 the, there's a, a pre-registered agreement that they don't have to sit there and craft uh, to, to extend to. Yeah. And the part of the selling point of the European Union, if you can say that in Britain these days, is that because we have so many different countries that are all signed up to the same legislation, they can really can be a force for change. Yeah. And not just within the EU, but also externally, because um, trading partners are motivated to deal exactly. with the EU exactly. on its terms. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people say that like, oh, you know, what, what's wrong with the EU? They don't, they don't have any. You know, I, I literally got this email. And somebody's like, you know, Europe is almost AI ready, you know, or something. And I'm like, I'm like, if you think that like that like having enormous companies that have like unbelievable amounts of data about people and like more power than like a lot of governments is evidence of having been AI ready. No, <laughs> you know, maybe the fact that the EU, in the EU the AI is spread through a whole lot of mid-sized companies means that the EU was more AI ready. You know, that the, the, it is better regulated and that is why the economy is doing so well and the people are so well off, by and large. Yeah. And maybe we can leverage that to come back to approaching these new technical, technological changes, threats to democracy, and applying that change that, that we as a society need to do um, well, and spreading it through. <laughs> Everywhere. Yeah. No, well, I think we need to all work together. And as I was saying before about that whole Breath and Woods thing, I think we, we really need to get um, big tech, middle-sized tech, little tech, everybody understanding that's in everyone's interest. You know, innovation is only as useful as um, if, it's, if it persists. It's not about like you know, having a random mutation that, that kills the organism, right? You know, it's about it's only mutations that actually can be kept in the organism that, that create... Uh, that, you know, kept in the population that, that, that have long-term consequences. And the same thing for innovation. You don't want innovations that mean that you no longer have a society. And, and it's particularly obvious when you're talking about tech because all the tech industries are reliant on there being a lot of customers. They, they do like these incredible, you know, they, they get the small amount of money from a huge number of transactions. So of course they need large populations that are stable, happy, you know, producing stuff that, so that they can get some of it. <laughs> 
you know? And, and so it is in their interest to make sure that the infrastructure is there. And they're, when they're like saying, oh yeah, well, we're signed up to do redistribution now. We realize it's important, so we're gonna pay you know, 10,000 people in Paris. No, that's not redistribution. Redistribution is paying taxes, right? And, and it's about doing that appropriately um, across all the different countries, not just in one country. Across all the countries where you're devi deriving value, you know, so so that it needs to go out to build fundamental infrastructure, not just in the you know the the places where your engineers want to live, <laughs> and distort the housing markets, <laughs> you know. Like, so so uh, yeah, lowering wages a little bit and and increasing uh, increasing the amount of uh, revenue paid in tax is what we need. Okay, that's fantastic. It's been a really interesting conversation. I don't think we're even ever going to touch on all the implications of these different things that are happening in society. Well, they keep changing as we speak, so I'm, I, we need to go downstairs and see what's happening. I'm sure that like something else has happened now. Well, I'm sure they have, so we should get away. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Well, I thank you for yours. That.